Okay, so now we all at least uh, know each other's names and we have a little bit of a sense of who we'll be sharing this journey with over the next four days. And I want to just acknowledge that whether you've been doing this for decades or whether this is your first retreat and you're new to Insight Meditation, coming into the start of a retreat can be a little bit unsettling because we're... It can be quite an abrupt transition. We leave behind our friends and our family and our familiar people. We come into a group of new and unfamiliar people and we start to shift into this more contemplative mode, which as most of you uh, know is not generally how we live in the rest of our lives. So to help with that transition, I'd like to spend a little bit of time to establish a strong container for our practice together. And when I think of, when I use this word container, sometimes I think of it as being like a basket, a woven basket. You know, in New Zealand, the Maori people weave these beautiful flax baskets, and I think probably different Aboriginal cultures do too. And so sometimes I think when we come into the opening of a retreat, it's like together we're creating this container and each one of us is a strand of that basket. And together we weave this space where we can really explore ourselves. We can explore our inner treasure. And this treasure is really what already exists within us. And sometimes in the Buddhist tradition, it's referred to as our Buddha nature, our capacity to really live to our fullest human potential. So this Buddha nature is already within us, but uh, speaking for myself at least, it can take a little polishing to see it clearly. And that's, uh, in a way, metaphorically what we're doing here on this retreat We're going inwards, we're looking inwards, and we're cultivating what's good, what's of true value. Or to put this in more traditional terms, as some of you mentioned in your introductions, we could think of this as an aspect of what's traditionally known as taking refuge. And in the Buddhist tradition, before we start any period of intensive meditation, we're invited to take refuge in what are traditionally known as the three jewels of the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So when Graham demonstrated bowing, he did those three bows to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And just to put that in context, the first jewel, the jewel of the Buddha, is really the historical person who developed these teachings back in northern India 2,600 years ago. And the second jewel is the Dharma. This word Dharma has several meanings. Uh, One is the truth, the truth of how things are. And another is the teachings themselves, the teachings that point to this truth, that show us the way to realizing the truth. And the third jewel is the Sangha, or the community of people who are exploring these teachings. So these are the three jewels And again, we have this idea of treasure. So we're invited to orient towards what's of value, what's really worth cultivating and developing. 
And when we talk about the three refuges, it's really an invitation to explore for yourselves what they might mean to you, what they represent for you. Because I know for myself, when I first heard this teaching about the taking refuge, I found it quite confronting because I like to think of myself as an independent person and I didn't need to take refuge. I'm not a refugee. But what I didn't understand back then was that actually if I looked at my life more clearly, a lot of the time I was taking refuge in something. It wasn't usually the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha. But for most of us, when we get stressed or distressed, we instinctively look for comfort, for solace, for ways to escape our stress and distress. And so we take refuge in things like perhaps working too hard. You know, this is almost like an epidemic of hyper-busyness in our society these days. So we can take refuge in busyness and overwork. Or for some people it's in substances, alcohol or drugs. Other kinds of addictions, sometimes to computer games or to sex or to food or to shopping or perhaps to relationships and to romance and to intimacy, or many different ways that we get lost in fantasies and distraction and entertainment and obs- or perhaps even obsessive worrying. We get caught in these compulsive patterns that are not so healthy. healthy. The things themselves may not necessarily be a problem, but our addictive compulsive relationship to them is... So if we're using these uh, false refuges as a way to escape reality, to escape the truth, then eventually they're going to let us down. So these things might be temporary refuges, but in the longer term, often they're quite toxic to our hearts and minds. They get in the way of clear seeing, of insight, and that is the practice that we're cultivating here, this capacity to see clearly, to see into our hearts and minds and to see the ways that we get caught and to also see clearly how we can free ourselves from those unhelpful habits of heart and mind. So in the Buddha's teachings, we're offered a different refuge, one that does help with clear seeing, that helps us to see through our delusion and to wake up And this word Buddha actually means the awakened one. It's not a name, it's a title, more or less. He who is awake. And it's said that after the Buddha attained the full liberation of heart and mind, his enlightenment, somebody asked him, somebody, he met someone on the the road who was really struck by the Buddha's um, way of being. He could recognize that this was uh, somebody not your run-of-the-mill ordinary person. So he asked the Buddha, who are you? And the Buddha simply said, I'm awake. I'm awake. What he meant was that he'd woken up from the unskillful energies of delusion, of ignorance, and of greed, and of hatred. He'd freed himself from those completely. So he discovered that capacity for himself and fortunately for us he 
shared that understanding through, I think, about 35 years of teaching the Dharma, the teachings. As I said earlier, this word Dharma means the truth of how things are. It's what we wake up to. And it's also the teachings that the Buddha himself shared over this lifetime of practicing and exploring with others. So what the Buddha discovered is in some ways quite counterintuitive because most of us, most of the time, spend most of our energy trying to change our external circumstances to make ourselves happy, trying to change the world out there to bring ourselves uh, relief. But the Buddha asked us to do something quite different, to actually turn our attention inward to transform our relationship to how things are instead of trying to change the things themselves. So when we deeply understand that everything is constantly changing and we can get let go of our clinging, our holding on, our identification and our addiction to things being a certain way, then we're taking refuge in the Dharma, the truth of how things are. We're living in alignment with that truth instead of fighting it. So this word Dharma refers to the teachings that help us to understand the truth. And because these teachings are both subtle and profound, and because, as I mentioned, they do often run counter to the way that mainstream society is going, we really do need the support of like-minded people to help us stay on track. As many of you mentioned in your introductions, how difficult it is to maintain momentum with this practice when Everyone around us is often seems to be going in the opposite direction. So here we have this shared intention to wake up, and together we're creating a temporary community to support each other in this delicate inner work of understanding our hearts and minds and freeing ourselves from stress and distress. We need role models to inspire us, And we need each other to offer moral support. So sometimes I like to invite people just to imagine if you were doing this four-day retreat by yourself and every morning you woke up at six in the morning and you came into the hall and you sat here by yourself and walked and sat and walked and had lunch by yourself and then spent the afternoon also by yourself. I don't know about for you, but for me, I think it would be pretty hard to maintain momentum So we really are um, taking refuge in the Sangha is this um, acknowledging the support that we get from each other to do this practice. So we get support from each other, but we also offer it just by showing up for all the sittings and the walkings, by being present, bringing our best efforts to the practice. That's a support not only for we ourselves, but for each other. So we're really all in this together. And together we create something that's much stronger than our individual practice. So there are supports for the practice. Graham mentioned already what's traditionally known as noble silence. And as he said, this means not speaking to each other, um, not communicating any way, and also not using mobile phones or electronic devices. And sometimes people ask, well, what makes it noble? And it's noble in that it helps us to go inward 
and to free the heart and the mind. So I like to think of it as a gift that helps us to befriend ourselves because the more we can understand ourselves, the more we can get to know each other and befriend we ourselves. When we come out of the silence, we're in a better place to be a better friend to others as well. So the silence is not held in a tight or cold or unfriendly way, but it's really a gift we're giving each other, the gift of the space to go inwards. And again, because we're all in this together, what we do does impact each other. So it may seem it's harmless just to send a quick text message at the end of the evening or to go for a quick walk with a friend that you're on retreat with, but these have effects on all of us. They ripple out, so... We really do invite you to um, put aside your usual ways of interacting and give each other the gift of silence. So this silence is also an aspect of um, what are known as the five ethical precepts. And again, at the start of the retreat, it's traditional to make a formal commitment in support of Sangha, of community, to make this commitment to non-harming. So just as we ourselves want to feel safe and at ease, others want to too. And so we make this commitment to care for each other. And in the Buddhist tradition, this is uh, expressed through the five precepts, which are taken voluntarily, and I'll, I'll offer us the opportunity to do that in English soon, but I want to say just a little bit more about what each of them are. You can think of them as an act of generosity, of kindness to ourselves and everyone else on the retreat. So the first one is, I undertake the training to refrain from harming any living beings. And again, there's that sense of mutuality because we understand that just as I don't want to be harmed, no other living being wants to be harmed either. So we develop this respect, obviously for everyone here on retreat with you, but also the non-human beings. The birds and the possums and what I used to think of arrogantly as the more inconvenient forms of life, things like slugs and spiders and ants and snails. And it was very powerful for me to take this, begin to explore this precept in terms of things like mosquitoes and ants and to realize that spending time with them in silence, I really did start to develop a genuine respect and to appreciate how things like snails and slugs and ants can really help refine our mindfulness of walking or our mindfulness generally. So it's an invitation to expand perhaps our usual um, care to include all forms of life. The second one is I undertake the training to refrain from taking what has not been offered. And this is a slight might seem like a complicated way of saying don't steal, but it's deliberately more subtle than that because obviously it includes not the not stealing but also not taking advantage of other people's belongings. And again, as a mindfulness practice, being really clear, has something really been offered or not? So Graham mentioned the food. If it's out in the dining room, you can be confident that it's freely offered. 
if you happen to be doing your yogi job in the kitchen and you see a few slices of chocolate cake, maybe it's not so clear. So keeping the precept, you make the choice not to help yourselves to those. So again, it's a mindfulness practice. Is this really offered or not? The third one, I undertake the training to abstain from sexual activity that causes harm. That's the precept for householders. And in the context of a retreat, we're invited to refrain from any kind of sexual activity. So in the context of a retreat, for example, it can mean restraining our um, sexual attraction, attraction energy, not flirting, for example. And again, just really giving each other space. <laughs> just bringing awareness to the, um, those energies and choosing not to express them outwardly. And then the fourth one, I undertake the training to refrain from false speech. This means not to lie, not to speak untruth. And in the context of a retreat, it means to maintain noble silence. So as we've been emphasizing, really taking care to offer the gift of silence. And perhaps because we're in silence, it might seem obvious, well, that's easy, I'm not speaking, so I'm not going to lie. But one of the interesting aspects of being in silence when we're not communicating externally Sometimes we become much more aware of our inner thoughts, of our internal expression, and we can apply the same precept to our inner thoughts too. So you might listen to how do you speak to yourself in the silence. And sometimes it can be quite shocking to hear the ways that we speak to ourselves. This precept includes not only not lying, but also abstaining from harsh speech. So if we're taking it seriously, we might want to look at how am I, what's my internal talk? And is that also in line with the precepts? And then the fifth one is I undertake the training to abstain from using substances that cloud the mind and heart and lead to heedlessness. So this, uh, in some ways, is obvious if we're trying to develop clear seeing, develop insight. We're not going to use substances that get in the way of um, clarity of mind. So it includes not using any recreational drugs or alcohol. It doesn't apply to prescription medications. Those are not seen as intoxicants. So if you are taking prescriptions, then please um, do keep taking them as prescribed. So that's just an overview of the five precepts, and I'd just like to offer us to um, just to recite them out loud together in English. So the first precept, I undertake the training to refrain from harming any living beings. The second precept. I undertake the training to refrain from taking what has not been offered. The third precept, I undertake the training to abstain from sexual activity that causes harm. The fourth precept, I undertake the training to refrain from false speech. The fifth precept, I undertake the training to abstain from using intoxicants that cloud the heart, mind, and lead to carelessness. Thank you. 
So now we have set up these outer supports for our practice. I'd like to take just a little bit of time to explore some inner supports, some qualities of heart and mind that will really offer a strong foundation for our practice. And the first of these is the quality of goodwill, or in the Buddha's teachings, metta-kindness. And metta is basically that open and receptive state of heart and mind. And I invite us throughout this retreat to cultivate an attitude of kind curiosity towards ourselves, towards others, and towards every aspect of our experience. Later on in the retreat, we'll do some formal metta meditation, but for now, I just wanted to... um, invite that attitude of kind curiosity. So, for example, even right now, you might take a moment to notice what's present in your physical experience, in your body. Just to notice what you're aware of right now. Perhaps some tiredness or heaviness a little bit of an ache or a twinge somewhere in the body. Or perhaps some lightness, sense of ease and relaxation. Whatever it might be, can you simply know it and meet it with kindness? Hello, tiredness. Hello, lightness. And in the same way with the mind, the heart and the mind, taking a moment to notice what's present in your experience now, any thoughts or emotions or moods or mind states, perhaps distractedness or anxiety or anticipation or self-judgment or interest or warmth. And again, can you bring this attitude of kindness to it. Hello, anxiety. Hello, interest. So no matter what the experience is in each moment, we're developing this capacity to simply be with it as it is. And this is how I think of metta as an attitude of goodwill and openness and receptivity, really to the full spectrum of our experience. And in this same spirit of kindness, there's one very important mantra that I like to offer at the start of these retreats. And that mantra is, explore and enjoy. Explore and enjoy. To see if you can actually have fun as you explore these different practices. And for many of us, that's quite a radical approach because we're so used to ideas of right and wrong and good and bad and success and failure. But a part, a big part of insight meditation is just being with your experience exactly as it is with this attitude of kind curiosity. So you really can't get it wrong. So see if you can let go of these ideas about getting it right or fear of getting it wrong and just explore and enjoy. So one second very powerful inner support for our work here over the next four days 
is to really um, pay some attention to our aspiration or our intention for this practice, to really have clarity about why are we here, why are we putting our energy and our time into being here for this retreat. So as many of you mentioned in the introductions, as we know, culturally New Year is a time when we do tend to reflect, to reassess and to refresh or renew our intentions to what we'd like to to set our aspirations for the year ahead. And so I'd like to invite us to do that a little more formally in a few minutes. But I just want to mention the difference between having aspirations and having a goal. Because a goal can be something that becomes quite rigid and heavy and fixed, even a burden. But having an aspiration has a, set, a sense of lightness to it. It's related etymologically to the word inspiration. And both of those words are related to the breath, to the Latin, I think it's spire, something like that. So if you think of inspire, aspire, those are all in the same terrain. And in the course of the retreat, we're going to be spending a lot of time exploring our breath, this process of breathing in and breathing out. So metaphorically, when we breathe in, we're taking in nourishment. And then as we breathe out, we're releasing what's no longer needed. So moment to moment, we can see this process of renewal and release happening in the breath. On the bigger scale, your invitation now is to really to think a little bit about what you would like to release from the past, from the year just gone, and what you would like to renew, to restore, to refresh, what resources you would like to cultivate for the coming year. So I'm going to invite us to take some moments of silence to do that. And at the end of the silence, you can, if you would like, write it on your piece of paper. And then you can fold it and put it in the bowl on the shrine there. And at the same time, if you would like, you can also relinquish your phone and your technology. So you'll be offering your aspiration and releasing your phone for a digital detox for these next four days. If you would like to give in your phone, you'll find some papers and pens. You can write your name on the paper and there's a rubber band. You can put it around your phone with your name on it for safekeeping. So inviting you now just to take a couple of moments of silence. To just contemplate what motivated you to come to this retreat. Thinking of the year just passed, what you would like to put behind you and let go of. And thinking of the year ahead, what you would like to move towards, what skillful qualities of heart and mind you'd like to cultivate and to strengthen.
you would like to, just taking a moment to write down anything that came to mind and then offering it to the shrine together with your technology if you feel so moved. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.